Aloha. Welcome back to the Ghost Lore of Hawaii Paranormal Paradise podcast. I hope you're doing well. This episode is part three of episode four on the haunting at the UH Manoa. If you haven't caught up on the two previous parts, take a listen to those first. If you haven't added the podcast on Instagram yet, it's ghostlore.of.hawaii. If there's a lot of Hawaiian words or pigeon words you're not familiar with, most likely there's a post defining it. So pop open a green bottle or two. If it's legal in your area, light up some Manoa Mary Jane. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Or paranormal Pakalolo, as we call it here on the podcast. Get comfortable next to the fire. And let's get into this. When we last left off, Toshi experienced the choking ghost in his last nightmare. He suspected the body of the girl he found in his closet in his dream must be the same girl haunting him in those dreams. Jerry agreed and called a family friend, Kupuna Kimo, to bless the room. Kobayashi, another freshman on Toshi's floor, was dating Megan, who was sensitive to spirits herself. Kobayashi planned to bring Megan to the room blessing to see if her visions lined up with Kimo's. Trigger warning. This episode discusses suicide, depression, and briefly describes a body post-mortem that may be disturbing to some listeners. Hey, Kimo! Jerry exclaimed as he pulled Kimo in for a handshake hug. Kimo was in his 50s, Hawaiian, dark, tanned, with a muscular build. His salt and pepper hair tied back into a ponytail. Although he always had a serious look to him, it was never imposing. Kimo had a presence that comforted people. He didn't say more than he needed, but it was always enough for people to trust what it was he had to say. He also had a dry humor to him that often caught people off guard. Hey, Pono, Kimo greeted back, using the nickname he called Jerry since Jerry was a child. Simplified, in Hawaiian, Pono can be described as righteousness or values of the Aloha spirit. Even as a child, Jerry was always concerned for others, wanting to help. The ASPCA commercials that played late at night always brought a tear to the young Keki's maka, or the young child's eyes. Kimo, this is Toshio, but we call him Toshi for short. Hello, Toshio, 
Pono told me about what's going on, the dreams and the pressing ghost. He said it seems to happen just in your dorm room, down the hall, yeah? Hi, Toshi replied. Yeah, there's definitely stuff going on here. Not just your room, but this building, campus, valley. Nah, 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 nah. Just messing around. I gotta go inside the room for tell what's going on. But yeah, there's some spooky stuffs in Ma Noa Valley for sure. Kimo lived all his life in Hawaii and was very familiar with Ma Noa's supernatural charge. He also felt it from the moment he got on campus, but was able to block out most of the noise, as he liked to call it. Hello! Aroha! Kobayashi and Megan knocked and walked in. Kobayashi shaking everyone's hand with a bow like the Japanese businessman he so desired to become. Kobayashi was a business major and had aspirations of becoming a CEO of a company one day. Megan nervously stood at the open door and waved a forced smile on her face. They went through the greetings and in his broken English, Kobayashi explained why they stopped by. With Megan's ability to sense spirits and his fascination of the supernatural, Kobayashi wanted to see if Kimo and Megan's visions lined up. Megan smacked Kobayashi on the arm. Ah, Itai, you said we're stopping by to meet a friend of Jerry's to buy... To buy some weed, Megan said in a muffled voice. You didn't say anything about ghosts. You know I don't like coming to this building. Kobayashi laughed, but apologized. (laughs) Not a science experiment. He could be so kolohe sometimes. Neither Kimo or Megan knew the details of what Toshi had been experiencing. Kimo was informed about Toshi's nightmares and the pressing ghost, but that was the extent of his knowledge. After the introductions and a few minutes of chit-chat, Kimo stood up. Well, let's get into this. Kimo led and headed out the door to Toshi's room. He stopped at the closed door. Hey, crazy! You already knew which room it was without me telling you! Jerry exclaimed, astonished. Yes, the Toshio name tag helped, Kimo said dryly nodding to the laminated name tag on the wall to the right of the door. Jerry bit his lip and dropped his head in silence, slightly embarrassed. I don't know if I want to do this, Megan stuttered. Kimo paused, hand gripping the handle. Both Megan and Kimo could sense and feel the supernatural 
but Kimo's abilities were stronger, without a doubt. His calming voice eased the group. It'll be okay, but if I tell you to leave, just quietly leave and shut the door behind you. Don't say anything, don't do anything, just quietly leave and shut the door. Before anyone could agree, Kimo was turning the handle to the door and pushed it open. Megan immediately felt the sorrow overflow from out of the room. So thick, it filled the air. Without hesitation, Kimo walked straight into the dorm room. Kobayashi, excitedly curious, followed fresh on his heels. Jerry, a few steps behind Kobayashi. Toshi flashed a nervous smile at Megan and followed Jerry. Megan stomped her foot, huffing in protest, then walked into the room shortly behind Toshi. Kimo flicked the light on, its yellow glow filling the cluttered room. Sorry for the mess, Toshi said, embarrassed. He hadn't been back in the room for longer than a couple of minutes since the choking incident, just long enough to grab what items he needed for school and while staying over in Jerry's room. The filth from his prior weeks locked up still spread across the dorm room. Toshi had kept the window open the past few days the room was vacant, so it was well ventilated. Thankfully, no scent of dirty college boys or dead girls in the air. Kimo slowly surveyed the room as he circled it, the four others watching intently at the door. Megan, looking uneasy, kept glancing at Kimo, then the closed closet door across from Toshi's bed. I definitely sense extreme sadness, like a blanket covering this entire Kimo's voice trailed off as he paused in front of the closet door sorry 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 Toshi blurted out mortified as he tried muffling the trash he had knocked over but only making a bigger mess and more noise Sorry. Kimo gently shushed, turning towards the closed door of the closet again. Before Kimo could say anything, someone died. Megan quietly blurted out to herself, 
staring down at her fidgeting hands. Yes, Kimo agreed, eyes locked on the closet door. I feel immense sadness, regret, fear, fear. Then the spirit wasn't ready. She suffered mentally as well as physically, Kimo assessed to himself out loud. The scratch marks in the closet Toshi saw in his dream fit Kimo's description of events. In her last moments, she understood she had made a mistake. Kimo explained he could feel the girl's sorrow not allowing her to move on was not from heartbreak, but from that regret. This is why she still wanders these dorms, Kimo said. Kimo, ever since the first night here, Toshi's been having nightmares. We think this girl has been the one that's been haunting him in his dreams. Uh, well, the dream's not all bad, Toshi finally said. What do you mean, Tosh? Jerry asked. I thought you've been having nightmares. Hi, nightmare, yes. But Toshi's dreams started off sexy. Oh, Jerry said finally understanding what Toshi was getting at. Kimo rubbed his chin deep in his own thoughts, continuing to stare at the closet. Then, that stench again. First, barely noticeable, like something lingering in the back of your mind. But then, flooded the room. Ew. Hauna, Toshi said. Using the new word, hauna, Jerry had taught him that meant stink or stinking. Tosh, that's what I smelled when I knocked on your door the other day. You sure you cleaned up all that Japanese food that got smashed up? Dudu? Kobayashi asked, still in the closet. No, that's what a dead person smells like, Kimo answered frankly. Shut up, Kimo, you're just messing with us again, Jerry laughed. No, for real, for real. Where was the smell coming from? The boys all wondered. Not Kimo, and not Megan. They both were familiar with phantom scents. Weird smells that tend to fill the air with no reasonable explanation for it being there. Like the scent of Mrs. Freer's perfume in the hall named after her, also on campus. Tales of students up late in the study hall suddenly being hit with the floral scent Mrs. Freer was known for. 
or like the sudden smell of Japanese incense at five in the morning while alone in a locked grocery store. This happened to a family friend a while back, who I'll call Don. Rumors spread through the employees of the grocery store of it being haunted from an old Japanese graveyard somewhere in the area. But none had been found. The store's parking lot was surrounded by thick grass, taller than the average person. So anything, old abandoned cars, trash, or graves could be hidden. Don was the produce manager for the store and had gone in early to prep for the day. Bent over a trash can, cutting the end stalks off of a case of corn, Don noticed the pleasantly smoky scent. He glanced up, not seeing any smoke, but then felt chicken skin on the back of his neck. He quickly turned around and saw a child, about four or five, standing behind him, holding the hand of an elderly man, about the age of the child's grandfather. They were dressed in old plantation attire, their clothes obviously out of date. Then, the figures just vanished like smoke dissipating into the air. I personally experienced weird events while I worked at this grocery store back in high school. I'd be sweeping after hours, the doors to the store locked. After doubling back to an area I had swept, there'd be a loaf of bread in the middle of the aisle. Sometimes cans of tuna would fall on its side and roll to a different aisle. Cans of food would be found after hours in the magazine aisle or household goods. A sleeve of soda cup lids popped open and lids shot out right in front of me once. One night, a few co-workers and I were hanging out in the parking lot after the closing shift. With employees being required to park in the back of the lot, our cars were parked at the border of asphalt and thick grass. We discovered a small three to four foot entrance into the dense vegetation. Something had carved a tunnel. It was evident the grass tunnel went back further into what? We had no clue. Of course, we headed in. Just the light of the moon and the yellow glow of parking lot street lamps to guide us. The grass was so thick, light was barely able to cut through the ceiling of the tight tunnel. Crawling on all fours, we followed the twisting tunnel about 30 feet into the grass before it opened up. We all exited the grass to this new area we never knew existed. After brushing ourselves off, we surveyed the opening in the grass. 
a dirt and gravel section about 15 by 15 feet wide. The moon was not full, so its light was not as bright as needed, but it was enough for us to realize what we had stumbled upon. Graves. Five. Old. Very old. Graves. The gravestones were about four or five feet tall, made of lava rock. There were letters in kanji that had been carved into the black stone, but years, decades, maybe even longer of erosion from the weather made the Japanese characters unreadable. In front of each gravestone was a small, rectangular piece of granite about the size of a brick. Two divots in the granite had been sanded into the brick, forming small bowls. Bowls to hold incense. The same type of incense Dawn had smelled that early morning. Kobayashi slid past Toshi and whipped the closet door open. Nani? He said, inspecting the empty closet. The scratched side walls of the closet had been long replaced, so no evidence of the girl's death was visible until Kobayashi glanced up. Ah, Kobayashi whispered tracing his fingers on the grooves of the wood. He turned back to the group and made a motion like a cat scratching, forgetting his English out of excitement. Kokoro? Kobayashi asked out loud. Heart? Megan translated under her breath. The hair on Toshi's neck stood. It was the same carved heart he had seen in his dreams. Kimo and Jerry both leaned closer to inspect what Kobayashi had found. Kimo brushed his hands over the carved heart, eyes closed. Yes, this was the last thing she did before... Everything turned black. She changed her mind. She knew she made one big mistake the moment she stepped off of books. Kimo saw flashes of feet stepping off of a stack of books, then frantically flailing, toes extended downward, scuffing the floor. She fought to survive, but... Kimo trailed off, a confused look on his face. Can can you guys hear that? Megan asked, voice quivering. Yeah, nothing, Kobayashi answered. Must be nothing. Kobayashi twitched his shoulders up. Megan was suddenly pale, 
pale as a, well, ghost. The look on her face sent chills down Kobayashi and Toshi's spines. Nani, Megan? Kobayashi asked. What? Do you feel any different? Kimo butted in. Uh, yeah. Gachoban pusu. Uh, bumples? Kobayashi answered. Goosebumps. Megan corrected. Yes, chicken skin. Kimo corrected once again. Potato, potato. Kobayashi did feel different. He suddenly felt chicken skin down his spine and the rear left side of his body. The prickles he felt from the hair standing erect made Kobayashi do the same. Stand up straight, that is. No sex in part three. Then, like a wave, everyone sensed it. It started with the hairs on everyone's necks and arms standing. For some reason, the room felt colder, even though the curtains to the open window were still. The evening was oddly still. Can we go? Megan asked the room, eyes now locked on her fidgeting hands. I still gotta bless the room, Kimo answered. Kimo pulled out a haku made of tea leaf, along with a couple more tea leaves from a plastic bag he brought with him. A haku is a lei worn on the head, similar to a crown. Kimo placed the haku on his head, chanting under his breath in Hawaiian. He pulled out a small pouch of Hawaiian sea salt attached to a long piece of hemp rope and put it around his neck. Just like the tea leaf plant, Hawaiians used sea salt to cleanse and bless the land, people, or items, like fishing nets or hooks. Kimo then pulled out a sealed mason jar of water he got from the ocean, the last item from the plastic bag. Continuing his chants, he sprinkled some of the sea salt into the seawater and stirred with the stem of one of the tea leaves. He then dipped the tea leaf into the water and spritzed it in four directions, north, south, east, and west. Oops, I got too close. Salty. (gasps) Megan gasped again, interrupting Kimo's monotonous chanting. Kimo opened his eyes and looked at Kobayashi, who was still inside of the closet, arms crossed over his chest, mock casket style. This where girl make? Kobayashi asked, using the Japanese word make, meaning death or to die. 
only now understanding the girl had ended her life in the closet. Kobayashi, come out of there. Now, please. Kimo said calmly and firmly. Nani? Kobayashi began to ask. Get out, get, get out, out, get out! Both Megan and Kimo yelled simultaneously. The shock of both of them yelling at the same time, at the same thing, scared Kobayashi, and he jumped out of the closet like a startled cat. Everyone, get out now, Kimo said. Without hesitation, the four college students began filing out of the room. Now, Kimo yelled with more urgency. He kneeled in front of the closet, eyes closed, chanting again. Megan was already out the door, followed closely by Toshi and Jerry. But just as Kobayashi got to the door, he quietly shut it behind Jerry and the group, locking himself and Kimo in the cursed dorm room. Kobe! Megan yelled, but was shushed by Jerry just as Kimo had asked. He'll be all right. Jerry comforted Megan as the three of them walked back to Jerry's room. What did you see? If you're okay to talk about it, Jerry asked as he walked over and pulled three cans of Aloha made iced tea from his mini fridge and handed one to Toshi and Megan and opened one himself. Megan took a long gulp hands still shaking. After pausing for a second, Megan began explaining her side of the events. As soon as Kimo opened the door, Megan felt the sorrow. Even when the lights turned on, the darkness still seemed to bleed out into the hall. You know, like... When you burn something when you're cooking and you have to run to open the door and all the smoke just flows out, Megan recalled out of personal experience. It was like that. Then, when Toshi brought up his sex dreams, Megan started hearing... Wait, 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 wait. Toshi, you didn't tell me about those sex dreams. Jerry laughed, calling Toshi out. Toshi nervously laughed. Where was I? Megan asked. Toshi's sex dreams. (laughs) Good one, Jerry. Toshi whispered, his ears and face getting redder. I kept hearing noises from the closet, like tension or dead weight hanging. Megan trailed off, staring at nothing. When my dumbass boyfriend opened the closet door, I felt all the emotion, the sadness that Kimo sensed. I smelt the death a lot earlier than you guys, but I usually do. This poor girl suffered emotionally through her transition into the other side 
But then she wasn't found right away. She was just in the closet all alone for days. No, longer. How did Kimo know Kobayashi felt chicken skin? Megan looked up at Jerry. Her lips joined her hands in trembling. She was just suddenly there, out of nowhere, hanging. Yeah, so basically you saw what we were smelling? That's fucked up, Toshi said, finishing Jerry's comment with the swear word his classmate taught him. So Kobayashi's chicken skin was from being next to the girl? Yep, that's how it is. Most of the time, if you get chicken skin... Goosebumps out of nowhere, it's them. So it's like the movie. Oh, oh, oh! Toshi raised his hand like he was in class. Why come you yell at Kobayashi san? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kimo yelling too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was crazy. You both started yelling at the same time to get out of the closet? What did you see? I don't know what Kimo saw. But Megan said trembling. She explained when her boyfriend had his arms crossed at his chest, the way he'd seen done to dead bodies in the American movies he liked. The woman's drooping head began to move. First, a slight twitch, barely noticeable, but then it started to turn. That's when... Kimo asked Kobe to come out of the closet. Then, she said, staring off again, her head started to lift. The dead girl began to lift her head, her face now visible. It was smiling. No, that wasn't a smile. The girl was snarling. The pain and anguish evident on her hideous decaying face obviously focused on Kobayashi and that's when they both started yelling at him to get out and then Kimo kicked them all out what would have happened if he didn't get out Jerry asked eyes wide leaning closer to Megan Captivated. I don't know. I don't do this stuff for fun. I gotta live with this all the time. Megan shouted, smacking Jerry on the arm. Sorry, 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 sorry. Jerry apologized, but still wanting to ask a ton more questions. He held off. It's done. Kimo said. Standing at the entrance of Jerry's open dorm room, Kobayashi squeezed past Kimo and plopped himself on the bed next to Megan. Ah! She slapped him on the arm again for locking himself in the haunted room. 
Like done done? Jerry asked. Let's go talk outside, Kimo answered to Jerry as the two headed out into the hall. What did you see? Toshi asked Kobayashi in Japanese. And why are you all wet? Kobayashi was wet. His hair, face, and t-shirt were wet as if he had been sweating profusely. Kobe leaned in as if he had a secret. He made eye contact with Megan, then Toshi. I saw nothing, he said disappointed, sitting back and up straight again. Nothing at all. He described crouching next to the corner of the bed and watched as Kimo knelt in front of the closet, chanting. Kimo continuously dipped the tea leaf into the salt water and spritzed the closet. Then, Kimo stood up and circled the room, dipping and spritzing, blessing all parts of the room. When he approached where Kobayashi was crouched, it startled Kimo, who tossed the water at Kobayashi, drenching him. Kobayashi yelled as Megan and Toshi laughed. What are you talking about? It's just water. Megan, let's go see Chenju, Kobayashi suggested. He wanted to see if Megan noticed any difference in the room and closet. Megan gave Kobayashi the stink eye, about to smack him again. Please? Toshi asked Megan. You're lucky. I'm only doing this for Toshi, Megan said as she stomped out of the room towards Toshi's. The two boys followed, walking past Kimo and Jerry, who were still chatting in the hall. When Megan got close to the doorway, she paused. She nervously inched towards the door as she gnawed at her fingernails. As she stepped into the room, it was immediately apparent. The dark cloud of dread was gone. The room felt normalish. It was still filthy, but felt brighter and homier. Wow, it's like night and day, Megan exclaimed. Tosh, you gotta clean up though. Toshi fit the last of his desk items, Tetris style, into one of the semi-packed boxes. The boxes were full, but not taped shut. Even after everything that happened, Toshi was still moving out of his dorm room in the Mokihana Towers. He couldn't stay, even if he wanted to. 
During that private chat with Jerry, Kimo strongly suggested Toshi transfer to another room immediately, just to be safe. But with record enrollment that year, there were no rooms available. Couldn't he just move into my room? It's a double occupancy room already, and I don't mind. Jerry explained to the student housing board. But as a resident advisor, dorming with a student on the floor he was advising was a conflict of interest. Later that day, Jerry emailed the board a scanned copy of signatures from the entire floor, saying each student felt it would be okay for Toshi to share a room with Jerry. He got a quick response back. The irritation subtly suggesting Jerry drop it. Wanting to move out because of spooky vibes wasn't a good enough reason. Toshi couldn't move out of his room unless he was dropping out or flunking out. The boxes were heavy and Toshi's grip was weakening. His pace quickened. It's okay, Toshi thought out loud. He only had a few more feet to walk to get to Jerry's room. Or the room he and Jerry now shared. The housing board had made a sudden reversal on their decision to let Toshi board with Jerry. But why the sudden change? They didn't really have a choice. The day after Kimo's visit, Toshi returned to his room to grab a few things before heading back to Jerry's, where he had still been secretly staying. Toshi opened his door to find... The room trashed again. Oh no. The mattresses were slashed with what looked to have been a large knife or letter opener, like the one stabbed in Toshi's volleyball during the first incident. The multi purpose beds that folded into couches, much like a futon or futon had been bent and broken. The closet had been torn apart, wood piled in a heap along with the desks and chairs. Even the lone light fixture in the center of the room had been demolished, wires hanging from the hole in the ceiling. The only odd thing was, again, nothing of Toshi's had been stolen or broken. Actually, all of Toshi's things were gently placed in one corner of the room, avoiding the mass destruction. But this time, Toshi's thrashed room was not from the supernatural. No, truth was, someone else had trashed Toshi's cursed dorm room. Risking expulsion and criminal charges... Jerry secretly trashed the room to the point of it being unlivable 
The police thought the two incidences were oddly similar. Too similar. To the point the repetitive nature of the crime no longer seemed random. Since Toshi was from Japan, the school worried there'd be bad press if it seemed like a hate crime was targeted at one of the international students. Toshi agreed to keep things quiet, and the school quickly reversed their decision and allowed Toshi to share a room with Jerry for the remainder of the year. But why did Jerry risk so much if the spirit in the room had been freed? Kimo was able to help the spirit of the girl who ended her life 20 years ago. The spirit of Emma. That was why Megan no longer felt the dread and sadness in the room. But her abilities were not as strong as Kimo's yet. When Kimo pulled Jerry aside privately, he explained that this building, entire valley really, was occupied by more than just pressing ghosts and spirits with unfinished business. More nefarious entities haunt the valley. Yes, the spirit of Emma was trapped in the dorm room, but something darker attached itself to her long before she ended her life, feeding off of her depression, getting stronger as she got weaker. The same dark force that attached to Emma jumped into Toshi, seducing him in his dreams. Kimo wasn't sure what it was, until Toshi mentioned his sexual dreams. Shy, awkward Toshi had never experienced confidence or physical intimacy, so he was confident in his sexual dreams. Emma desired the love of Scott, so her dreams were full of the love she didn't get back in real life. When Kimo freed Emma's spirit, and allowed her to move on, he caught a glimpse of what this evil entity was. Obake Neko, or Ghost Cat. For just a moment, when Emma's spirit left, the Obake Neko was left crouching in the closet. It was hideous, black, wiry fur about three feet tall with an extra long tail the cat-like monster had the mouth of a human with sharp teeth but before Kimo realized what was in front of him it pranced out of the closet vanishing it made sense It would explain the scratches on Toshi's body each night he woke from his seductive dreams. The Japanese believed Obake Neko 
can possess people while feeding off of their life force. People who have survived Obake Neko say even though they're being drained, it feels seductive and addictive, which is why Toshi and Emma both chose to live in their dream worlds. As Jerry and Kimo watched as the three freshmen walked to Toshi's room to see if Megan sensed any change, Kimo told Jerry it was safer to avoid sleeping in the room at all costs. Although they'll never know it, another person had the same idea. Toshi's assigned roommate, whose family pulled him from school after finding the room assignment, choosing to enroll the following year, knew about the cursed room. The mother of Toshi's never-was roommate knew Emma and lived on her floor that year she took her life. Her name was Catherine Souza, but she went by Katie. Katie, the resident advisor on Emma's floor, knew something was off about the room and wouldn't let her son dorm there. When Jerry risked it all to help Toshi, he also felt by demolishing the room, he was helping stop anyone else from ever being assigned that room. Toshi waddled into his new room, barely managing the weight of the two open boxes he held in his arms. Hey, Toshi, want to play some video games? Jerry asked. Sims? Toshi responded. Tosh, that's a one-player game. Call of Duty? Okay. But Tosh ready to beat off Jetty. Toshi smack-talked. I don't think that means what you think it means. Mushi Mushi. Mr. Kobayashi, the reporter with Time Magazine is here for your interview about the company's success. Ah, yes, uh, send him in, Kobayashi said, fixing his tie. He stood up from behind the desk of his penthouse office and straightened his suit and luxury watch, worth the price of a luxury car. The city skyline as his backdrop. On the desk, Kobayashi had a gold nameplate that displayed Mr. Kobayashi with CEO of the decade beneath his name. Plaques and framed pictures of Kobayashi shaking hands with presidents and political dignitaries lined the wall of the office. He looked at himself in the mirror and flashed a smile. Success looked good on him.
Thank you so much for tuning in to this last segment of episode four, The Haunting at UH Manoa, based on the real haunting of a freshman who took their life in the Mokihana dorms. Tales of UH being haunted have been passed around for decades. Both my mom and dad went to UH, and my dad dormed in the Halealoha buildings in the Lehua Tower. Even back then, stories of UH being haunted were told. The idea for this story was loosely based off of the legend himself, Glenn Grant. He's a story titled The Obake Neko of Kaimuki in the book Obake, Ghost Stories in Hawaii. These series of books by Glenn Grant are infamous to residents of Hawaii. His books and articles in the paper were a big part of helping spread the ghost lore of the islands. Another infamous series of books that aided in keeping Obake stories alive are by Rick Carroll, entitled Hawaii's Best Spooky Tales. Scary voice. The Mokihana dorms are said to really be haunted by a student who ended their life in one of the rooms. Some say the carved heart in the closet is still in one of the rooms in the Mokihana dorms, but unfortunately, I do not know which one. If you attend the University of Hawaii Ma'anoa campus and are assigned a room in the Mokihana tower of the Halealoha building, make sure both closets in your room do not have that carved heart just to be safe nah 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 nah. (laughs) just joking I made that last part up wink wink nudge nudge the part of the story where the characters are in the room with Kimo and Megan the two sensitives is based on a real incident that happened to my former roommate back in college A friend we had in common lived in a house that had weird things happen in one of the bedrooms. Picture frames would shatter and crosses nailed to the wall would fall upside down constantly to the point they were left off the wall. My roommate was hanging out in this bedroom with a group of friends, two claiming they could sense spirits. They both mentioned feeling a man had hanged himself in the closet. Goofing around, my roommate walked to the closet and stood in it. They told him to get out, not explaining why. Just like the story. They both saw the man's lifeless body hanging. Then, slowly, his head began to turn staring at my roommate. Then, both at the exact same time, shouted at him to get out. So that part really happened, just not in the Mokihana dorms. These two acquaintances didn't know each other prior to hanging out, so I don't think they could have planned it. Spooky, yeah? So thank you so much for joining me through this three-parter. I know it was a long one. If you enjoy Ghost Lore of Hawaii, 
please review on Apple Podcasts. Also, not everyone knows what a podcast is or uses Spotify or similar apps to listen in. So you can always refer to them to the website, www.ghostloreofhawaii.com. And they can listen right off of the website on their phone or desktop. No need to download anything. I'll also place the link in the show notes. There's also a tab on the site that'll take you to the merch shop where there's a ton of branded products with the little ghost logo. You can follow the Instagram account for Ghost Lore of Hawaii at ghostlore.of.hawaii. There's a lot of related content like definitions of pigeon or Hawaiian words and pictures from the stories. I posted a picture of the Mokihana dorms if you want to know what it looks like. Not the normal building you're imagining, I promise. If you have any feedback or just want to say hi, you can email me at ghostlore.of.hawaii at gmail.com. Some names and locations may be altered for privacy's sake. My apologies if a version of a story you hear on the podcast differs from one you've heard in the past. In some cases, I've altered some details of the story, but the backbone will remain the same. I posted a picture of the Mokihana dorms if you're cur- if you're cur- curious if you're curious curious if you cu- if you're curious on what it- curious if you want to know what it looks like